It's good to see a church that doesn't like each other much. If I let you go, I always wonder how long to take because I'm watching you all just love on each other and I'm thinking, well, do they even care if I'm here or how does this work? Good morning. It's good to be with all of you. I am Bill Nelson and uh, part of the pastoral staff here. My job is the pastor of outreach. So this morning we're going to share a little bit more in the book of Acts. We are in the eighth chapter. We're going to continue our study. Last week, and believe it or not, I don't have my electronic device, so I'm actually using paper notes. What? I could use paper notes. Anyways, so here's the amazing part of this, is that God's word will not stop to be preached. Amen? Amen. So this we're, we're going to continue in Acts. Last week, Pastor Jeff reminded us of how Saul began ravaging the church. It says that the beginning of chapter 8, that all were scattered except for the apostles. That was interesting. They stayed back to take care of the spiritual needs of the followers of Jesus who could not leave. Now, the interesting part about that, there's several letters that were written that I did some research on to find out how the apostles then, when they were, although their people were scared, the, the, the other uh, deacons that were working with them, we'll get to them in a minute, as they were scattering, they made sure, the apostles made sure that they didn't bunch together that they stayed separated so that if somebody did find them and they were arrested, not, it was not everybody. So that was very interesting. But also Jeff then reminded us that Philip himself, who we're going to be talking a lot about today, was not an apostle. Remember, he was on that list with Stephen of the deacons who were chosen to just basically take care of the Hellenistic Jews. Their job was one simple. They were going to provide food for the widows. That's what they believed was coming at the beginning. And see, the amazing part that I loved about this is how the deacons, all that came forth with that, thought, oh, this is great because this is something I can do. So see, a lot of times God will introduce things to us that we can do, and we believe it's great that we can do it. And then he comes along and says, oh, yeah, there's another little part to it, you know. You're going to evangelize the whole world. I went from giving a widow a plate of, you know, steak and eggs to now I'm going to be evangelizing a whole country and make a difference in the country of Africa in a little bit. And Josh will be talking about that next week. So Philip is among those who were scattered because of the persecution of believers by Saul. So let me think about this for a minute. Saul is ravaging and arresting people, and some of them putting them to death, right? For anyone who speaks the name of Jesus, they will be jailed, persecuted, and some put to death. The apostles chose men of service to the Jews, including Philip, as it says in chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Amazing how... When the calling of God is on a life, and folks, this is not gender specific. So in other words, God did not just call only men. And yes, we still talk about males and females as men and women in our church, because here's the deal. When God calls, puts the calling of God on somebody's life, he does so in a manner that he knows you can handle it, whether you know you can or not. One more time. He calls you in a manner 
because you are chosen and gifted, whether you know it or not. Amen? Amen. And it's hard sometimes for us to accept that fact, because here's what's about to happen to Philip. When you have faith in Jesus, Jesus always, always, always will overcome that fear as long as you ask him to. Philip wasn't sure what he was going to do at this point because he was told that he had to leave. Then in chapter 8, verse 5, we see Philip went down to Samaria, which is an interesting phrase because Samaria, Samaria is actually north of Jerusalem. But it's lower in elevation. So when the Jews from Jerusalem would refer to going to Samaria, though it's north, 42 miles, they would say, we're going down to Samaria because uh, Jerusalem is about 2,500 to 3,000 feet, and Samaria is almost sea level. And I give you that to let you know that that 42 miles, by the way, took six days for them to get there, which is an interesting choice by Philip. Because here's a couple of things that we, we know that the, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. So I did a little research to find out the real backstory. So from a Jewish perspective, the Samaritans actually were thought neither Jew nor Gentile. Which was always interesting to me. How can you not be one of you that you were born in Israel or you weren't? But they did not consider them anything but lower in humanity. So they were descended from the northern tribes of Israel that had fallen to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Those who were not taken to Assyria and remained in the northern kingdom married extensively with Canaanite population and peoples from Assyria who the Assyrians resettled and conquered in the conquered territory. Now these Samaritans descendants of the old northern tribes still considered themselves to be people of God. We're back into the first century. And they had their own Pentateuch, a copy of the books of the first five books of the Bible. And they even built a large temple on Mount Gerizim, which stands today, which was just about the exact same size of the temple that was in Jerusalem, with the same courtyards, the same everything, the same holy of holy place. They were practicing their Jewish heritage. But to the Jews, the Samaritans were half-breeds and heretics. Hard to believe when you, you still have that they were studying the same books. They were, they were following in the same ways. They were, had the same traditions. And yet, a group of people just south of them, a little ways, truly believed they were half-breeds and heretics. And this is why, uh, when in the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, verse 9, the Samaritan woman, Jesus goes to the well and asks her for a drink. And she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I looked at that phrase, have no dealings with the Samaritans. And in the original language, the people would have heard this, that the Jews and Samaritans are not synchromai. They are not in sync. Isn't that That's where we get that phrase. You know, we're in sync. You know, our worship team up here. Trust me, if these six or seven people up here were not in sync, we would all know. But, praise God, they always are. Amen? Amen? They're amazing. 
And so it's the same way for them that the Jews and the Samaritans could not be in sync because of that one small little detail that you're half-breeds, that you're heretics. So now let's look at this a minute. Philip thought, let's see. I've been called by God to witness about Jesus Christ in the time of destruction, ravaging. People, their, people are getting killed and everything else. Does he say, should I go? That's not his first question. He's thinking to himself, and the, I, this is my interpretation of Philip's little thought process, so give me a moment. And he says, where should I go? And as he thought about it, he says, hey, I know I'm going to preach the gospel. I got an idea. I'm going to go to where people hate us the most. I'm going to Samaria. Now, some people, they would say, you know, if you go to Galilee, you know, just a little bit above you, you're going to find out that, you know, 20 miles away, you're in a lot more congenial location. People will love you there, and it will be wonderful. And it's, that's what God told him to do. He might have had the little thought of a little guy in a fish, right? You run away from God, you wind up in a fish. Philip didn't even question it, didn't even slow down. I'm going to Samaria. When the call of God is on your life, no matter how big or small, in your own eyes... <laughs> you cannot help but follow where God leads you. Some of you today, we might be thinking that, you know, I know there's a need in the church. I know that there's, I have this idea for something that would create fellowship, that would create encouragement. Yeah, but they have enough people, with, you, know, you know. But it might take up too much of my time. Folks, I can tell you that if God is trying to get you to do something, even if you consider it a small thing in the church, <laughs> you'll have no peace until you do it. See, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and Glenn mentioned it, the hound of heaven he mentioned. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't slow down when it says, okay, so you're not going to do it this way. So here, let me create a little pressure in your life this way, and then you might understand I need you to go this way. Philip didn't question. He knew the word of God so well, he knew better than to say, he said, okay, God, I'm going to Samaria. So Philip goes to Samaria, and he performs many miracles of God. It says in Acts 8, verse 7, and then it tells us that there was much rejoicing in the city after that, in, in 7 and 8. He performed many miracles of God. And as performing these miracles, there's a reason that God gave him the miracles, as we're going to see in a minute. See, God already has a plan for what he needs to have accomplished there. God had already planned for Philip to be in Samaria and for the people to be receptive. It's like the people of Samaria were going this way, and they were growing up, and they were doing their thing, right? Philip's over here working just fine in Jerusalem until Paul decides to start ravaging the church and they have to leave and Philip is called to Samaria. Now all of a sudden something is happening to create an in-syncness. <laughs> I made up my own word. Because now the people of, of Samaria are going to hear the true words of God. 
As he's performing these miracles, he's, all of the people, then all of a sudden, now they're starting to rejoice in, in verse 8. It says there's much rejoicing in the city. Oh, that's wonderful. We're so happy. So right now, if you were watching a movie, you'd hear a lot of strings and some happy music. There'd be major chords. Probably, you know, you could hear Glenn's guitar in the background just doing some really cool stuff. And it would be amazing, the music behind this scene. And then all of a sudden, it stops. Brass comes in. And you hear, dun-dun-dun. Because, in verse 9, a man, but a man named Simon who practiced magic in the city. See, in this introduction of Simon, whew, he's a magician. And he must have had a good bag of tricks. He was a Samaritan by name and claimed himself to be great. He, was, he would tell you how great he was which is a very interesting thought because the people that usually claim to be great, they aren't. And he was amazing the people of Samaria for a long time. So we don't know how many years exactly. As far back as I could see, he probably had 25 to 30 years of performing because he started at a very young age. And he had many years of practicing these, these magic tricks and these, these sleight of hand and the, the charlatan ways. But the whole time he's doing it, he's collecting money from the people for his shows. Now, the, the people of Samaria <laughs> research into his practice at the time of Luke tells how the people were amazed. And in verse 10, it says, they were giving him so much attention and saying, this man is what is called the power of God. Be real careful to put the title of the power of God on yourself. Um, if you don't have it, you will find out very quickly because the real power of God is about to reveal himself in a way that Simon doesn't even know. And that's how it works. That's how it always works. When the power of God speaks, E.F. Hutton has nothing on God. Remember that commercial, right? E.F. Hutton would speak and everybody would hush and be quiet. When the power of God speaks, everybody lays down and bows. And they were amazed in giving him this so much attention. And, and amazing... An amazing thing to me is this. Even in the first century, humanity could be astonished and amazed. He amazed the people in Samaria for a long time. It's all they knew, the power to do these sleight of tricks, these sleight of hand tricks. You know, he could, he could do the sleight of hand, mis misdirected leadings of cheap magic tricks. Dear family, please, <laughs> do not be distracted by the tricks the distractions, and the temptations of this world. There are many. They are all around us. The enemy of our hearts is always looking for ways to, for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. They want to stop having our eyes on Jesus. 
They want to stop us from looking to heaven, to listening to God, to hearing his voice. They want to make sure that we do not look to Jesus in any situation. So they will stop at nothing. And here's the amazing part about it. They have watched you enough to know every single one of your buttons that can be pushed. The Bible tells us in, in some of the Old Testament practices, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that there are temptations and things that can overcome us by way, in ways that we do not know. Then Ephesians 6, he tells us for sure that our fight is not against who? Flesh and blood, but against the principalities in the air. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, if you want to write that down. And there's never a time when God's power is not evident and not able to take away and stop those arrows, those darts, those thoughts of temptation. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the temptations of looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at, the first one's not the dangerous one, it's the second one. The second look is the hard part. That's the part you don't want to be a part of. And even in the first century, they were, they were amazed. And they're, you know, as we look at them, Simon may have held the tension of the Samaritans for a long time and, and with his dazzling tricks in verse 11. But then it says, all that changed when Philip began preaching the word of God. What did he preach? It tells us he preached three things. The word, the Christ, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus. You see, there are those of us who did go to seminary to get the magic little pieces of paper that say we, can, we are allowed to do what we do. But it's not necessary if you're preaching the word of God. If you're preaching the tr tr truth and you have the Holy Spirit within you, the words from the Holy Word of God will come out at the proper time. Oh, you may not all say the same things because each one of you will have the heart of the ministry to the people who are just like you. Some have gone through some of the same things that you have. Some need to hear from you that it's going to be okay. They need to hear from you that in all things God is good. He is holy. He is all-powerful, and nothing can stop his strength, his peace, his kindness. He is the good God. And even more importantly, he's the God of second chances, as we're going to see. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always the great equalizer. For in the gospel, there are no half-breeds, no physical rejects, no place for any human prejudice. Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. There is acceptance for all and joy and peace for all. Amen? What, what was that? Okay, let's try that one more time. There is acceptance for all, joy for all, and peace for all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you makes my heart feel good then we see in verse 12 the people believed in jesus name the samaritans heard the truth and they knew in their hearts that it was true and then in verse 16 it mentions a couple of times that however they did not receive the holy spirit 
an interesting point, and we're going to find out why Luke makes a point of it. More on that later. Then in verse 13, it says that even Simon himself believed, and he was baptized, but he did not receive the Holy Spirit. Then it tells us that Simon continued on with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place. And he was constantly amazed. Ladies and gentlemen, miracles can be a part of the journey to faith. But they're never the most important thing to take the place of faith. Miracles will happen in our day that we look at in our maze and stuff, and, and there will be men who take credit for it. And as we're finding out, those men who are taking credit for those amazing miracles did not perform so much of a miracle as a sleight of hand, trick of a camera, and a whole lot of other physical anomalies that they created. But when it's true, when it is a true taking place of the miracles of God, it is used for a specific purpose. Then after verse 13, all of a sudden we switch scenes and locations. We go to verse 14 and we switch the scenes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother church that sent Peter and Paul, because as soon as the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the gospel, the word of God, they sent Peter and John down there. Now, some people would say, some people would say that as they sent them down there, that they went down there to check up on the, the upstart mission. They went down there to, to find out really what was going on. Okay, so how can Samaritans really come to know Jesus? Those are half-breeds and heretics. How can they come to know Jesus? And that's what some people would think that was the reason that they sent Peter and John, because they sent the dynamic duo, the powerhouses of the mother church. These are the founders, but these are the guys sitting at the, at the cross when Jesus died. They walked with him for three years. These are two of the biggies. And as they're looking down, they're saying, okay, you know what? The Holy you know, they have received the word of God. We need to send Peter and John. have got to go down there. So they send them down there. And some people thought it was the mother church checking up on this mission. But I can tell you that as I research more and more letters from Peter about it, um, Eusebius, Josephus, they all have remarks on the fact that the Samaritans are now hearing about Jesus from Jews who they hate. And guess what? They're loving each other. As Eusebius writes to a court official. In amazement. He cannot believe that these guys, that they're loving each other. The Jews and Samaritans, his words are, imagine that. <laughs> Obviously, not a Christian. Not one who believes in Jesus. They came down and they prayed for them. They laid hands on the people of Samaria without hesitation. The scripture, the, the reference there is they immediately, they went down and as soon as they met them, they started laying hands on people. May you receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord God the Father. 
And as the Holy Spirit came down and filled these people, they were all just amazed at now what has happened because of it. Some people think this is the mother church, but just the opposite is shown. Peter and John came down more as participants. They were offering the endorsement of the apostles and welcome into the family of God in this new missionary <laughs> enterprise, I guess you could call it. The Spirit is connected with becoming a Christian in many places. Sometimes the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is connected with the laying on of hands and sometimes not. As you read through the book of Acts and other books, you're going to see this. Sometimes the coming of the Spirit precedes baptism and sometimes it follows but in the gospel of john he talks about it in chapter 3 of john in verse 8 he says the spirit blows where it wills the spirit cannot be tied down to any manipulative human scheme See, we can't just claim that, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come down as soon as you do this. The Holy Spirit came down as soon as I did that. It wasn't because of our acts that the Holy Spirit fills us. It's because he chose to fill us. And many times when it is talked about how the Holy Spirit fills you, it is because of the condition of your heart, the cardia. It talks about the cardia, whenever the Holy Spirit is mentioned, how it blows into you, how it fills you up and gives you strength and courage. It talks about the cardia, the heart, is what does it. And the amazing part about this is many times there are those who believe that they can manipulate the Holy Spirit to join them and then make claims they have the Holy Spirit in order to get people to believe and follow them. And it's never, never done by any human manipulative scheme. So some would ask why the point is, such a point is made by Luke of pouring out in a different way that people receive the Holy Spirit in this instance. Some scholars make note that it does not rule out the Spirit of God working inwardly in those people who were baptized in the name of Jesus. It doesn't change that. It doesn't change the point of their initial conviction and commitment. Also, oh, an interesting thing about many of the Bible scholars, as I was reading and researching, found out that there are a lot of Bible scholars who refer to this as the Samaritan Pentecost. Because it was a big deal. The word of God that came down chose the Jewish people then because they rejected his son and he went to the northern kingdom and began preaching the word there, all of a sudden now these disciples, these apostles, these deacons, they all get the word of the Lord that says, hey, we got to go talk to the Samaritans. They need to have Jesus. Jesus becomes the bridge between everyone and everything in the world that at one point and another hates each other. Folks, you want to have peace in the world? Just give me a clue of who is the reason. How's it going to happen? By what? Oh, you can say it out loud. Come on, let me hear it. 
That's right, faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is going to be the one thing that brings peace, that brings love, that brings joy to your heart. Is it always easy? Oh, no. No, no, no. It's not easy because you have an also, you have an enemy of your hearts that wants to stop you from coming to Jesus in any way, shape, or form. And he knows how to push that button to give you, he either does it through temptation, he can do it through destruction, he can do it through discouragement, he can do it through loneliness, he can do it through impatience. I could make the list all day long because of the list that I'm giving you is my own. Every one of us experience all of those things at different times in different ways. The key is what we do with it when it comes. Because if you take it, if you take on that depression and you start wearing it, you start claiming that it's there and you start looking at it and stuff, instead of going to the book of Psalms to read Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation of whom shall I fear? Start there. You want to have another way or start? Go to the book of Proverbs. And what's the day of the week this week? What are we on? The 23rd. Go to the 23rd proverb and just read through it today. Tomorrow's the 24th. Read the 24th proverb. Start in those. You want to start in a gospel? Start reading the book of Mark through all the way so you see the actions of Jesus. And after you do the book of Mark, then go to the book of John so you can see why Jesus did what he did. Dear family, my burden for you is great right now because I'm watching the way the world is coming after us. And guess what? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. It will not work. It will not happen. And it will not succeed because we have Jesus living within us. All the power that we need is inside us. And like Glenn said this morning, all we have to do is not only just receive it, but accept it and live it. That was a great quote, brother. That was good. He didn't know I was going to steal that from my sermon, but I knew I was at the time. Because we have to understand that life in Jesus can be all that he claims. Who is the only person that can stop the life in Jesus within you? Please don't say, what? Whoa, I heard it. Who? Me. Yes. So I'd like for you all to do this, and many of you have heard me say this to you before. You walk into your bathroom late at night before you go to bed. You look yourself straight in the eye in that mirror, and you say, give me a break. Okay, there's <laughs> too many of you laughing, which tells me that you need to do this exercise. I would challenge you, today is Sunday. Every night between now and next Sunday, I would love for you to walk up, look into your mirror, and say, Pastor Bill says, give me a break. And then next Sunday, say, Pastor Bill, I did it, and I started to give me a break on day six. Oh, wait, no. We need you to start giving you a break when you say give me a break. It's hard. The hardest person to forgive is you. So when we look at why Luke made such a big point about this Samaritan Pentecost, it's the life of the Samaritan church. This is the hugest moment of their salvation, their history. They refer to all the way back from even now, if you go to Samaria, they refer back to the Samaritan Pentecost as the day that Jesus Christ entered their country. 
And it came through the city of Sebaste, S-E-B-A-S-T-E. That was their main city. I know it says city of Samaria in our Bibles. But the city of Samaria at that time was considered the one large city that you could do. And where all of the people in Sebaste were true Samaritans. They were the true ones who actually still believed as the old Samaritan church did. That they were followed up in They were followed up in the Pentateuch. They were raised in it. They knew the Jewish language. Then when Philip came, they were baptized, and Peter and John came down, touched them with the Holy Spirit. They knew they belonged to Jesus. And even today, you'll see that time and that date, and it's referred to as the date that Jesus came to them, the date that Jesus entered their lives and gave them peace, the day that some of their family from the southern kingdom, the relatives that they knew they had that were split because of those prejudices, came back together. Families were rejoined. There was rejoicing in that city. Two things happened because of how God was working out his plan of salvation for the Samaritan church. First thing, Through Peter and John's participation, the Samaritan mission was given the stamp of approval by the mother church in Jerusalem. That was the great thing. Secondly, many of the scholars, they point to the significance of the experience being one of an outward demonstration of the spirit that Simon the magician could see. And when he saw the condition of his heart became very evident as well as we will soon see. I'm going to read with uh, verses 18 and 19 real quick. Um, I'm reading out of the NASB. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go so well. Saying, here, give me this authority as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So even though Philip's previous miracles caught Simon's attention, that was a big deal to him. The visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit was absolutely irresistible to this crazy magician. He saw mounds of gold and silver in his future. He was excited. When people wonder why Simon did not receive the Holy Spirit during his belief in God's word and in in, in Jesus' name, It may simply be because God knew something that the readers and the people of Samaria around him did not know. People look at the outside. Where does God look? Right at the heart. Amen. I may be a little presumptuous here, but I see instances where the usual results of spiritual encounters in God's word happen in a different way. It shows me how God knows the attitude of our heart above the actions that we perform. Now we get to see what happens when Simon offered them money, that he might be able to lay hands. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. (laughs) Peter gets a little excited in typical Peter fashion. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. 
because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He's screaming at him, by the way, in case you're wondering. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. I'm going to stop right there. I just want to stop there for a second. Because in verse 20, in typical Peter fashion, he lets Simon and everyone else know of his indignation. He's, you know, Peter, he speaks up first and he says what he thinks. It was a straight shooter. May your silver perish with you. You thought you could buy God's gift. Throughout the book of Acts, as you're going to see even more as we get deeper into it, you're going to find out that human greed is always depicted as a most destructive force in all of humanity. Peter and all of us who call upon the name of Jesus, we should have such a response as Peter did whenever evil tries to take over and the work and work the will of God in an evil way. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves? It's in the Bible. <laughs> I promise it's not. Don't think it is. People will take scriptures out of context, give you a little piece. And here's a, here's a portion. We have a cult right now that lives all around us. And they'll pull these scriptures out. See, here's how unreliable the Bible is. It says that Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, how could a loving God let him do that? And then he says later on, he says, go thou and do likewise. And then later on, he says, and what you do, do so quickly. Okay, no, don't ever believe that that's true. That's how destructive evil can be in taking God's word out of context and say what it never meant to say. In verse 21, Peter continues and points straight to the issue of the heart. You have no part in this matter. Your heart is not, your heart is not, as the original language puts it, your heart is not straight in the presence of God. Because it, he's trying to make the point that at every moment that you stand and breathe on this earth, you are still in the presence of God. And when your heart is not straight in the presence of God, guess who knows? God knows. That's right. It is the spirit at work in Peter who calls out the presence of evil in Simon's heart. Decision to keep it that way is entirely up to Simon. And then Peter gives him a way out in verses 22 and 23. Peter tells Simon, repent that your heart may be forgiven. Remember, repent, as we know, it means you're walking this way, turn around and go the other way, 180 degrees. Switch it up, get out. Immediately he pronounces judgment on Simon for his greed and proof that the intention of his heart in his confession was in the, in verse 23, he says, your confession was in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. <laughs> Does Peter go to the point or not? He's not beating around the bush. He's letting them know. Many times that's the surgeon's sword or the surgeon's scalpel of the Holy Spirit. 
It may point you to the direction of what is causing the problem between you and God. We say, God, you don't feel close to me. I don't understand what's happened. And immediately a thought comes in your mind of something that has just happened to something that you did that you never asked forgiveness for and you never turned. And God says, I'm, I'm still here waiting for you to turn around and look at me. And when we turn around, here's, here's how we turn around. Yeah, God, well, you know, I am. Um, I can't look at you right now because of, um, you know, well, you know. And God says, Ex excuse me, I didn't hear. What does you know mean? Now, you know you know. God knows, and he knows you know he knows. Yeah. <laughs> and when he does, do we then look up and say, yeah, but God, that's a whole different thing. See, here's, here's really what happened. Like, you're gonna, he's going to go, oh, Bill, I didn't see that one. <laughs> he's not going to do that. He's going to look at you and say, excuse me, what do you do? You fall down on your face before him, spread your arms and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And I open myself up to surrender to the will of Jesus. Let me start over and praise God that we serve a God of second chances. Amen? He allows U-turns. Somebody looked at me and said, what do you mean he allows U-turns when you drive? And I said, well, it could be when you drive, like when I'm driving and a guy yells, does something stupid in front of me and I say something stupid loud and then I have to say, okay, God, I need a U-turn like right now. My head brain went sideways. And we have to do that when we know we have sinned. Simon knew that it was. Peter gives Simon the only way to make his heart right again. He needed to gain forgiveness from God who is the God of second chances. It is the same for you and me. Whenever we in haste make statements that sometimes are not thought out before we say them, repentance will bring forgiveness of God. And at that point, the only words out of Simon's mouth in verse 24. Pray to the Lord for me yourselves that nothing will happen to me. Now, as we look at that prayer, at request, it's not even a prayer. It's a request. Pray that for, to, for me that nothing will happen to me. This is almost in a begging way. It appears to be more out of fear of what Peter said and shows no remorse or not even an, an inkling or a hint of a complete turnaround of will and mind that marks true repentance, does it? Now that once famous person who claimed he was all that, he claimed his own greatness is not so arrogant. And if there are any people around watching this, and we don't know how many there were, if there was anybody watching or seeing this. They see that the human greatness and man's declaration of this being the great power of God is absolutely powerless when it is faced by the true power of the Almighty God. Luke makes his point that Christianity has nothing to do with magic. In fact, feats of magic tricks are powerless before the genuine power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit cannot be manipulated or bought. It involves genuine commitment in response <clears throat> to the work of God's Spirit. So, dear family, two things stand out. 
The Holy Spirit moves when it wills to do so. We can't force it. We can't make it do it. The Holy Spirit will move when it wills to do so. And secondly, God knows every heart and thoughts behind our actions. But even more importantly, <laughs> this is the one that I had to look in the mirror. Even more importantly, God knows when we do things to get our own way and then we claim it to be the will of God. Well, I know it's God's will that I get that 1970 Dodge Challenger with that 426 Hemi. You know, that's been my prayer and for his will for since 1970. There you go. I, you don't see a Challenger parked out, unless you, if you do, let me know. But that's the two things that, we, that stand out to me in this, that the Holy Spirit moves when it wants to, and God knows every heart and thoughts behind our actions. So I do have, I'm going to ask the team to come up. Because our final question is this, God knows your heart. Do you? See, there are times when in walking in faith with Jesus that we slip, we fall, we do things that we do. And then we act like, well, I'm just going to go on being a good person and a good Christian because I know God forgave me for that. But you're missing one small little point. In every instance where there is that forgiveness and that conviction, it was because of a repentance of heart. And I'm not going to say that everybody should say out loud to anybody around you, but see, when you confess your sins to God and ask his forgiveness, let me ask you this, and I want to hear it really good. Does God forgive you? Amen. Yes, he does. So what I've asked the team to do is I have asked them to do that one more time, that song at the foot of the cross. Because you see, it is at the bottom, the foot of the cross. What's very interesting today, by the way, knowing that I was going to preach this message, you want to know how the enemy likes to think he's really cool? Our lights behind the cross quit working today. They've never stopped working before. And today, as I was starting to do this, I'm looking at the foot of the cross. It's that cross that did everything. Because once Jesus spread his arms out wide and said, I love you this much. And when he did, he claimed that in, all, in his name, everything that you have ever done, when you come to him in faith and with a genuine heart, it's all forgiven. So God knows your heart. My question is, do you? And do you honestly know, if you're looking in the mirror, that person in the mirror, by the way, knows your heart. Even when you like to come to church and play nice, God still knows your heart. So I've asked the team to do that song one more time in order for us. If you wish to stand, if you wish to kneel, if you wish to sit and pray, if you wish to come up here, whichever way it is. Uh, Rich, if you see people coming up, um, who's over here, who's over here? If you guys see people coming up, just come up with some of the elders and stuff that are here. If you just come up and pray with them, if people come up. You don't have to. You can go in the back. Invitation is given. But what this invitation is for is during this song, if we want to say, Lord, we want to lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. If there are things that you know need to be laid down at the foot of the cross, now is your time.
shown me your love through the judgment you received and you've won my heart and you've won
that we just come before the cross and kiss the feet of mercy and lay everything down. That does not have to just happen here in this place. Wherever you are, home, work, school, sometimes driving your art, although please keep your eyes open. But God is there. God is with you no matter what you're doing. If there are prayer requests, if there are things you wish to bring up, please send them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If there's something specific you, you have a need for and there's something else, we're going to still hang around a few minutes after the service if you still want to have some prayer time together. Reach out to a friend, a brother and a sister and say, hey, would you just give me a call this week? Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most important things, and if, if there's nothing else you get from me today, this is it. If God brings somebody that's next to you, around you, some a brother and sister that you know in the Lord, if God brings them to your mind and says, hey, you need to give so-and-so a call. Oh, I'll do that later. I'll do this later. No, no, no. As soon as you can, please give that person a call. You may be saving a life. I've had three suicide calls this week. People under the age of 40. So I'm going to ask you now, please. Because so many of the relatives say, if I had just listened, if I have just heard, if I had just talked, please, if you think of somebody, God brings them to your mind, please call them. And now, Father God, we just pray your blessings upon everything we are. We ask for you to be with everybody in this building, everybody on stream who's watching and hearing your voice. Lord, may they listen to the Holy Spirit above all else. And God, we would ask that you bind the enemy, that the angels of mercy, the angels of Jesus himself, Father, would surround them and protect them. And if there's anybody here who does not know what it means to have Jesus in their life, may they not leave or may they not stop at this point and connect with us. Let somebody know that you want to have the spirit of Jesus in your life. And Father, now we pray that as we go, we go with your blessing. We go in your name and we go in your light. Father, may we be the light to people who need to see it this week. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all and have a great week. Mm -hmm.